So only raccoons and bad badgers and foxes should use bins, people. Do not go rummaging in your bathroom bin. If I you do have a bathroom bin. I particularly want a fox rummaging in my bathroom bin, if I'm honest, Evie. <laughs> I know, it's weird. then a fox is in my house. And I don't, I don't think the cats would enjoy that. And I don't think I'd enjoy having a wild animal in our house. We have lots of wild anim- animals in our no, house. No, they're domesticated. Oh, domesticated. So how are you feeling about the new cat? About Pogo? Yeah, about Pogo. How are you feeling? I've not told him this yet, but he, he's not going to make the cut. He's going to have to leave. What? Yeah. Dad! Yeah. I'm Dad! Sorry. He's got to go. You do know we're recording this. I do, and he's he's just going to have to leave. He's too fluffy. He's not too fluffy. He is. Okay, either he leaves or you shave him. It's up to you, Evie. You can have it either way. Either he leaves this house or you shave him. And I don't just mean once. You'll have to keep shaving him. Mm, neither. I want him to stay all fluffy. What about my sinuses? What about my allergies, Evie? I know you have allergies. Well, just wear a mask. Right, so I, in my own house, for the next decade or so, need to wear a mask just so that you can keep this long haired cat. Or ask them to hoover up all the cat hair everywhere. Right, I'm sure that'll go down great. Yeah. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story (laughs) begins sometime before 1086, because a village called Heathcote in South Derbyshire is mentioned in the Doomsday Book. So we're part of history. Oh yes, this is a Heathcote family history story. So we're famous! Well, we're not famous, but it turns out some people who had the surname Heathcote are famous. So our family is famous. I'm not sure how tangentially related we are to these Heathcotes, but we'll see. Now, although the village of Heathcote was later absorbed into the town of Swaddlingcote, there was another village called Heathcote in West Derbyshire. And the reason that there was more than one place called Heathcote is that the name was based on geography. Heathcote started off as Heathcote, meaning cottage on the heath. Therefore, anywhere where someone built a cottage on a heath, which is open, uncultivated land, Evie, oh. yeah, could conceivably have referred to it as a Heathcote. And if a settlement grew up around the cottage, then the village might take its name from the original dwelling. Oh, so this is why I know a lot about geography and science. We're learning about bones. Fantastic. So that's so that's why I, I know so much about bones. What, because of your surname? Yeah. And your origins in South Derbyshire? Yes. Right. Before surnames became standardised, which began in earnest following the Norman Conquest, which we covered when we were talking about the Battle of Hastings. Yes. You remember that one? I really didn't like how Harold died. I know. That will always be a bit of a bit of a sore point for you, won't it, Eves? Yes, I loved him. Well, before all of that, there were a number of different ways of differentiating between people you knew who had the same Christian name. So you might link someone's name to their job. For example, John the Carpenter, or 
Roger the Shrubber. He designs and builds shrubberies. Oh, I know. Evie the Zookeeper. Yes, if you became a zookeeper, which I... I know is your current passion. Yes, that is my passion. My hobby, Pokemon. Which is kind of like zookeeping anyway, isn't it, if we're yeah. being honest? But yeah, if you might be known as Evie the Zookeeper to differentiate you from maybe Evie the Doctor or Evie the Baker or Evie the um, seller of small trinkets. What are trinkets? Uh, bits of tat that you don't really serve any function, but you buy because they're pretty. There's many a trinket in your bedroom, if you're honest. How dare you? <laughs> well, I am going to clean it out on Saturday. Good to know. It's a forest in there. <laughs> no, literally. Now, that's one way of getting a surname, you know, linking it to somebody's job. Another way you might is to make a link to their father. So John, Jack's son, would become John Jackson. Or John Williams' son would become John Wilson. What will Milo become? Um, if, it, if it was Milo, he'd be Milo Joson. <laughs> wouldn't he? Because he's the son of Joe. What will I be? Well, you'd be Evie Joson as well, if we, if we got our surname that way. If if you want to say that you're Evie Joson, it's very Scandinavian, we can go with that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. You also might choose to link their name to a description of the person themselves. Either their physical appearance, for example, John Short, or their personality. John Wise would be a good example of that. I'm Evie Kind. Oh, so you're either Evie Kind, Evie the Zookeeper, or Evie Joson. I'm all of those things. <clears throat> and finally, you might link someone's name to the place they're from. Thus, a John who lived in a cottage on a heath might become known as John Heathcote or Heathcote. It is thought that over 90% of all the surnames in use in Britain today come from one of these four origins. So, whoever you meet, you'll probably be able to tell where their surname came from now if you give it a good think. Are you giving it a good think? Yeah, I'm giving a good think. Okay. Okay. Now, the first time that the surname Heathcote appears in official documentation, in this case it's the pipe rolls of Derbyshire, was because Godfrey de Hecotta owed some money to the king at the time. And to this day, there are still many Heathcotes who live in and around Derbyshire. I'm a Heathcote and I live in Heesham. Yes, you don't live near Derbyshire. Yes. But if you work back through our family tree, you will find that my great-great-great-great-grandfather, so your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, George Heathcote, lived and died in Ashford-on-the-Water, a little town only nine miles from the village of Heathcote that birthed his surname. Dad? Mm? Was he the one who drew the flower painting? No, that's on your mother's side. Um... George Heathcote was a stonemason and he did lots of work on the Manchester Cathedral um, which is why Heathcotes seemed to all get married there for a while although me and your mum didn't get married at Manchester Cathedral from this little village of Ashford in the water George's children began migrating northwest, eventually ending up with my great-grandfather so your great-great-grandfather moving to Southport on the coast 
where four generations of Heathcotes have now lived. You've lived in Southport. Yep, so's my dad, and so's my dad's dad, and so's my dad's dad's dad. <laughs> so you're from the side of Scotland. I mean, Southport. Yep. One's from the side of Blackpool. Oh, she wouldn't like you saying that. She's from Royal Lytham St. Hans. Thank you very much. Blackpool. <laughs> Which is in Blackpool. It is not in Blackpool, and they would take great offence at being twinned in with Blackpool. Oh, the snobbery afoot, Evie. Snobbery. <laughs> what snobbery? Looking down your nose at other folk. Dad, that is just creepy. Stop it. Okay. But while one branch of the Derbyshire Heathcotes that were attached to headed north, there was another group who decided to head south in order to try and make their fortunes in London. London. And it's one of these Heathcotes that I want to tell you about today. Okay. Specifically, a man called Gilbert. Gilbert? Yeah. Really? Yep, that was his name, Gilbert. Gilbert so Heathcote. So that's the hero of this story. Hero might be a strong word. Um, he's the person we're going to talk about. I'll leave it up to you to decide if he's Gilbert. heroic. Gilbert. Gilbert Heathcote. Does he like fish? Let's find out. <laughs> Gilbert was born in Chesterfield in Derbyshire which was only about 20 miles from the village of Heathcote, on January the 2nd, 1652. He was the first-born son of Gilbert Senior and his wife Anne. His father was a successful ironmonger and local alderman, which meant that he helped to um, do all the official things that needed doing in the, in the village. What's an ironmonger? Somebody who um, sells iron products, so like gates and door fittings, things and like cereal. that. cereal! No. Cereal has iron in it. Cereal has trace amounts of iron. I'm talking about, like, door handles and gates. You wouldn't need a gate, would you? No. That's too much iron. Yeah. Probably. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Maybe you would. There was a guy who ate a plane once. What? But I think he was French, so I don't think we can mention him on this podcast. Yes. Hmm. But Gilbert Senior, he wanted his kids to do even better in life than he had. He was like, I'm an ironmonger, but I want you to go on and change the world, kids. Oh, like you want me to be a good daughter. Oh, yeah, I'd be very happy if you were better than me at absolutely everything. That would make me very proud, but there's no pressure on you to do it. I'll, I'll be the opposite of your job, an animal. An animal. I'm pretty sure an opposite of a nurse would be someone who goes out deliberately to hurt people. Oh, sorry. So don't do that. I won't. Good. I'm thinking the opposite of people. Animals. I was going to look after animals. That's fine. Why don't you just say, I want to look after animals rather than people? Rather than saying that you want to be my opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway... Gilbert Senior, he sent young Gilbert off to study at Christ College, Cambridge, which is a very posh school, Evie. I don't want to go to a posh school. Well, the benefit of sending your kids to a posh school is it's very far away, so you don't have to deal with the kids because they have to live at the school as well. It's called boarding. I don't like boarding. Well, you've never done it. How do you know? We can send you off to Cambridge tomorrow. No, thank you. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Okay, you can stay here. But I do know a school that's boarding in India. Do you? Yeah, because of a flood. 
washed away some houses so they're living in the school. That's slightly different. That's disaster relief. But I like the fact that you're thinking. Oh, okay. Because they're not getting an education while they're living at that school, are they? They're just kind of living there because they don't have houses. Yeah. And I'm guessing most of the people in the school at this moment aren't students. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the maybe they're getting the grannies to do algebra. They might. They say no lessons are taking place. Oh, do they? Very official. Okay. Well, Gilbert went off to study at this very posh school. And then his dad, having seen him get a good education, encouraged him to take an apprenticeship with an overseas merchant at the age of 19. So he wasn't happy with sending young Gilbert just to London, a couple of hundred miles away. He was now sending him off on an apprenticeship to the other side of the world. So either he really believed in his young Gilbert, or he really wanted him to go far away. So maybe he couldn't stand him. I think he liked him. He's just really proud of him, so he wants him to go. I I know what some of the words mean. Cool. Merchant means he's selling stuff. It does mean he's selling stuff. He's selling rich stuff like blankets and gold, jewels and blankets and more gold. Stuff like that. Uh, We'll find out what he's selling. He spent time trading in Sweden, the Baltics and the West Indies while he was serving his apprenticeship. But on his return to England in 1680, after nine years of working overseas, he decided to set up as a wine merchant. So now he's going to sell wine? He's going to import and sell wine. Yes, he's going to bring in wine from all the good wine-producing countries like Italy and France and not not Australia because we didn't really know about that yet. Um, Not really the Americas because we hadn't really set up a wine grower. Mainly, Mainly the European ones, let's be fair. I'm nearly old enough to drink wine. You would be in France, but not here. He was so good at selling the wine that he became a freeman of the Vintners Company the following year, which is um, a club for people who sell wine. And with their help, he quickly began making lots and lots of money. Um, that's a weird club to join. Well, it's all the people who buy and sell wine getting together so that they can talk about wine stuff. (laughs) Like, Grapes, yeah, like grapes are grape part harvests, of wine. yes, yeah. and yeah. and where the good where the good Zinfandel is going to be found this year, yeah, yeah, all that stuff kind like of stuff, that. stuff that you can't talk about at home with your wife because she's not interested. Yes, wives do not like wine. <laughs> that is a massive misrepresentation, Evie. Well, they do. They just don't want to hear you talk about wine. Yeah, they, they just want it, to get on with the drinking of it. Yeah, yeah, because then it just makes them f- f- thirsty. Thirst, <laughs> thirst for it more. Okay, well, I, I definitely won't talk to you too much about wine. No, I don't even know what wine tastes mm. like. The, so. the important thing to know is he was making lots and lots of money from selling wine. Cool. He also, as part of his... You know, being a freeman of the Vintners Company, spent five days each July helping his company with the swan upping duties. Swan? Yes, he had to swan up. So <clears throat> he's flying on a swan? No. Because while most people think that the King or Queen of England owns all the swans in the country, it's one of the perks of being the King or the Queen, you own all the swans. Cool, it's I like It's not swans. actually true. What? 
while the king and queen do own most of the swans, since the 12th century, they have had to share the swans on the River Thames with the Vintners Company and the Company of Dyers. Cool. And in order to ensure a fair three-way split, groups from all three, so from the king, from the Dyers and from the Vintners, would sail up the Thames once a year, splitting the swans into three groups and marking them to identify which bird belonged to who. The crown's birds, so the king's birds, wouldn't be marked at all. They'd just be left to go on their swanny way, doing their swanny business. The birds claimed by the Dyer's company would have a nick, a little cut taken out of one side of their beak, so a little V cut out of the side of their beak. And the birds the vintners were claiming would have a nick taken out of both sides of the beak to show that it was a vintner. This tradition of swan-upping still takes place to this day. Poor swans. Well, at some point somebody thought that's a bit cruel because today they put a ring around the swan's foot instead. They give it a bracelet. That is just so wrong! It's better than cutting its face. Yeah, I guess so. It's a little bit of bling-bling. Get a little little bracelet yeah. on the hoof. At, at, first, at first I thought, I think it, the swans were actually people... Mm. Yeah, so now we know that they're birds. Yes. I didn't even need to ask that question. Well, that's that's good. Yes. I mean, yes, swans are birds. They're big white birds. Mm-hmm. Well, mainly white birds. Poor swans. Well, they're okay. Now they just get um, rings, but it still happens to this day. <laughs> so if you go up to um, down to the River Thames in July, you might see... Three boats going up the Thames, sort of grabbing swans and putting rings around the foot, around their feet. What? Do they have different colour rings? Uh, I don't know how they differentiate, actually. It's a good question. It might be different colours or it might have, like, a, a letter on the ring to let you know who. You know, like a V for Vintners yeah. or a D for Dyers or, or just a, a picture of a crown for the king. Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually think the king needs to actually mark their swan. Mm, well, that's true. Maybe it's they just have rings for the dyers and the and the vintners. Yeah. Anyway, within a decade of selling wine and marking swans, Gilbert was rich, and he could have happily continued to trade in Spanish wine and brandy, living comfortably for the rest of his life with minimal stress. He could have just chilled out. Why don't? Why doesn't he sell some wine to the swans? Because swans don't have money. That's the main issue. Also, swans can be quite violent at the best of times. I don't think you want to get a swan drunk. That would be a disaster. And you wouldn't let a swan in a pub, would you? No. No. You don't want it pecking all the customers in a pub. (laughs) Definitely not. That's terrible. It just caused proper pandemonium in that pub. Yeah. Yeah. Shame there's no pandas to stop it. Anyway, Gilbert, he wasn't happy of just being rich. He wanted to be the most successful merchant in England. And one of the biggest barriers to that goal was the East India Company, who didn't want to let anyone else trade in the Caribbean. That's a very bad company. Well, what they've got is a monopoly. And what a monopoly means is that they're the only people who do that business so they can charge whatever they want. Even so £2,000? Well, they, they can just keep making money because everyone knows that 
they're the only they're the only people you can go to to do that business. Gilbert, though, he decided that no one was going to tell him where he could sell his wine, and so he ignored the East India Company. And when they impounded one of his ships in 1694, so he he was sailing a ship over there to sell some wine, and the East India Company went, no, we're taking your ship, you're not allowed to sell here. Gilbert went to Parliament, so he went to the government to complain, and it was decided that actually he was right. And he could continue to trade in the Caribbean, whether the East India Company wanted him to or not. Hooray! So... He basically just ignored the rules and went, I don't believe you have the authority, sir. I am Gilbert Heathcote Jr. (laughs) I own many swans and I shall sell my wine where I please. So he's like this. Um, Excuse me. Mm? I have been with swans and wine my whole life. You cannot stop me from selling my wine. I will tell the Parliament about this so I can still sell my beloved wine to people in the pub. Oh, well, this is the Caribbean. I don't think pub culture was big in the Caribbean. It's more bar culture over there, to be fair. Gilbert built on his success by testifying that the East India Company had been engaging in bribery and corruption on a massive scale which meant that they were um, basically breaking the law lots in order to make money. What? That is not cool, people. Well, it wasn't. Gilbert suggested that a new East India Company needed to be set up in place of the old one, because the old one was rotten to the core. And it might be useful, he also suggested, if they asked him to help run it, perhaps. Good old Gilbert Heathcote might be better at running a, a new East India Company. Maybe, yeah, if you wanted. Yeah, because he stopped the old one from from stopping him selling wine. So And from he, doing crime. Yeah, so I think he is a bit powerful. Yeah. Well, while waiting for the government to reach a decision, Gilbert kept himself busy by helping to set up the brand new Bank of England. Now, Gilbert loaned quite a bit of money to help set up the new bank, and it's believed that within three years, his initial investment of £2,000, which would be around 300000 quid today... Um, with that small investment, he made a whopping £60,000 in profit, which would be around £9 million quid today. What? Wait, did he put some of his money in the bank? Yeah, he helped to set up the bank, so they needed some money to get started. And he said, well, you can have a little bit of my money. And by the time he got that money back, it had made him a Super- massive, massive profit. Super-duper mega-famous... Well, he's now very, very rich. Rich. And he got that equivalent of £9 million just in time to invest in the new East India Company. Companies. He invested £10,000 of his profits, which would be over a million pounds today, and he was placed on the board of directors, which meant he was going to be one of the guys making decisions around this new company. He could say what, what was going to happen, what wasn't going to happen, how many swans would be involved, whether they would be allowed to drink how much they'd be allowed to drink. He he controlled the entire thing. Bringing my swan wine into it. Swan wine, yes. Yeah, swine! Made from only the finest swan's blood. No! you got to bleed those swans. No! Make it out of grapes that's suitable for the swans to drink. Oh, oh right, okay. Yeah. I totally misunderstood what you were going yeah. for then. Swine! 
<laughs> swine. Yeah, that's swine. Swan wine. Not killing swans. That's bad. Well, I thought you'd gone dark. I didn't understand why no. you'd suddenly gone down that dark path. No. Okay. So, he invested £10,000 of his profits. He's placed on the board meaning he would have massive influence over all trade in the Caribbean alongside all of his other business, because he was still doing the wine thing. He was still, despite all of this, however, not the richest person in England. And he decided the only way he could reach this goal would be in passing laws that would allow him to make even more money from trade. So, at the age of 48, he decided to get involved in politics. Why politics? Because politicians are the people who make the laws. The laws that we all follow. So if he wants better laws for him to allow him to make more money, he's got to be a politician and then he can get those laws passed. I thought a politician was someone who helped bees make pollen. That's a beekeeper. Yeah? Clues oh. in the name there, Eves. It's a beekeeper. Oh. Politicians generally don't have to wear you know, the netted face covering to stop themselves getting stung while they're in the Palace of Westminster. Anyway, Gilbert was elected to Parliament as the member for the City of London in 1700 and was almost immediately expelled. However, this proved to be a temporary setback as he was re-elected later the same year and he stayed as an MP for another ten, receiving a knighthood in the process to become Sir Gilbert Heathcote. Sir Heathcote! Cool. Yeah. But, but, but what happens next? Well, I'll tell you. And I'll actually, later what I'll do is I'll show you the, because um, he got um, a coat of arms. Whoa. Um, I'll show you the Heathcote coat of arms. That's That's got to be creepy, like a coat. No, no, no. It's plastic it, arms no. on it. It's like a shield that he's allowed to use to represent his, his family. Oh, I'll, cool. I'll show you. It's heraldry. It's a very interesting subject. Yeah, show me after the... Yeah, because you want to know what happens next, don't you? Show me the thing after we've done the podcast. Mm. I'm sure we're going to get it done before bed. Bedtime? Yeah. I should imagine so. I mean, we've talked quite a lot about Sir Gilbert already. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure there's nothing more interesting happening in his life. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. Now, like I said, Sir Gilbert mainly focused on passing laws that would help merchants such as himself, to make ever more money. However, he did find time to serve on a committee to look into the piracy problem in the East and West Indies. So he was going to sort out the pirates, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah, that is pretty cool. I mean, who wouldn't want to fight a pirate? Yeah, through the enforcing of harsh legislation. Wow. And making many speeches in Parliament. But he also passed a law to decide when and where people could transport and store gunpowder within the city of London. Oh no, that well, guy Guy Fawkes got got arrested because of that. Yeah, well, well done. It, yeah. Gilbert is a brave man. He was making sure that no one else was going to either intentionally or accidentally blow other people up again within <laughs> London, which I think is a good use of his time. Yeah. Good use of his time. And all in all, things were going well for Sir Gilbert. Good. It's good. That's what I like to hear. That was until the summer of 1710, (gasps) when he made the mistake of trying to tell the current queen, Queen Anne, 
at the time, that she should not meddle in the government, as it would likely harm trade. Oh no, Gilbert, you're in trouble now, buddy. Mm. Yeah, because, do you know, telling the Queen what to do was a massive no-no. It was a big scandal. You don't tell the Queen, the Queen of Great Britain, what she can and cannot do. Yeah, she's the ruler of the world. Yeah. Well, no, she's the ruler of the country he lives in, definitely. And she was a big lady as well. She was very fat. So she could probably slap him down. (laughs) She could probably roll him down and eat him into a pie. I mean, you could feed feed him to Queen Anne. It's a very sad story. We'll do Queen (laughs) Anne one day. It's actually quite a sad story, bless her. Um, But for this purpose, she is a very angry woman who's like, you can't tell me what to do. Because despite all his money and power, he was still essentially just a commoner. He, He hadn't been born into noble family he hadn't been he didn't have any royal blood in him he's a heathcote he comes from a cottage over there on the heath yeah but he is a powerful man not for much longer because within a few weeks of this scandal with queen anne he'd been voted out of parliament in disgrace he said "Get (gasps) get out gilbert oh no try and tell queen anne what to do you you on the street with you Oh no. Da, da, da. Now what will he do? He's, he's probably had all of his money taken off him. Oh no, he kept his money, don't worry. Oh, good. And he actually found that there was another job that he could take that also provided a bit of influence, a bit of power. power. He became the mayor of London. Oh yeah. Oh Gilbert, that's my boy. He there did you go. great. Well he done. was also, the last mayor of London to ride a horse to his inauguration. Cool. I like horses. But the Queen chose not to attend the ceremony as she was still angry with him. <laughs> so she allowed him to become mayor of London, but she didn't turn up to, to watch him get the job. Yeah, that's a bit sad, but... Harsh, but fair. Sad, but OK. Now, amazingly, while Sir Gilbert was serving as mayor of London, his younger brother... Caleb Heathcote. Caleb. 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 Caleb Heathcote. He had just got himself a new job as well. Cool. What did he get? He was the mayor of New York City in America. (gasps) So they're both mayors? Yep. It means that there was a point in history in the early 1700s when a Heathcote was in charge of two of the greatest cities on the planet at the same time. Though, to be fair... New York only had a population of around 6,000 people then. And it it was many, many years before it became the metropolis that we know it as today. I know. At one point, Heathcote's ruled the world, Evie. And we can again. Yeah, I'm going to rule the world. The twin prong of you and Milo. I'm going to rule the world. Just remember, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. I'm going to stop people from hurting animals. Good stuff. Now, luckily for Sir Gilbert, the issue with Queen Anne was soon resolved. It's all sorted out. Yay. Because she died in 1714, and she was replaced by King George I. Oh, yeah, I like George. Who Gilbert happened to get along with really well. Cool. So the Queen didn't like him, but when she died... The new king was like, Gilbert, Yeah, you're my friend, yeah? Me and you? Yeah, we're buddies now. Gilbert and George, Gigi, 
together? Yeah, the Gilbert GGs. and George together forever. Gilbert and George. See, they have a theme song and everything. It's going well. <laughs> yes, it's going well for them. He became an MP again. Hooray! And he continued to use the position to increase his personal wealth. Hooray! So the amount of money he had. As a final reward for his lifetime of striving, Sir Gilbert Heathcote was made a baronet on January the 17th, 1733. What's a baronet? See, I knew you were going to ask that question. It's a hereditary title, um, which means that it's something that he can pass on to his children. So they will be baronets forevermore. So he's become a member of the nobility. Who who did he marry? He did have kids, but I didn't get down to who he married, did I? What an omission. He had a wife who had a name, probably. (laughs) Probably. I should have checked. Um, I'm very sorry, Evie. I've let you down on that. It's okay. But being given a title meant that he'd officially, finally been accepted as one of the upper class. So he was nobility now. Oh, good. That's that's good. And in the very same year, another of his brothers, not Caleb this time, but another brother called William Heathcote, was also made a baronet. As it turned out that this set of brothers, they were incredibly good at being merchants and politicians. So he had like six brothers and all of them did pretty well. Yeah, woo! They all ruled the world. It's just compared to Gilbert, who became mayor of London and was personal friends with King George and everything, they hadn't done quite as well as him. But everyone everyone in that Heathcote generation did brilliantly. Can I do that? You can do the horn. Victory horn! <laughs> That's enough victory horn. Sir Gilbert, though, he became a baronet first. And it was a good thing he did, too, as he died only eight days after receiving it. Oh, no, that's so it, bad, that's bad. It really was the the final triumph that he got this before he died. Yeah. At the time of his death, Sir Gilbert Heathcote was known as the richest commoner in Great Britain with an estimated wealth of £700,000 which today, in today's money, Evie, you ready for this? Yeah. Would be the equivalent of over a hundred million pounds. Victory home! It was so much money, in fact, that after his death, the Pope himself in Rome, leader of the Catholic Church, took time to comment on how much of a greedy man Gilbert Heathcote must have been. What? Yeah. So his death was so important, it was commented on by the Pope. The Pope? The leader of the Catholic Church. Was the Pope nice? Uh, Historically, no. There have been many Popes, and most of them have sort of questionable backstories. You know. But I'll I'll leave you to to research that when you're a bit older. Yeah, I'll do Popes next year. Uh, Give it a few more years before you start getting into the Popes. There's a lot of blood and and questionable motives in in the story of the popes. Some of them were nice. Good, good. Some of them were genuinely altruistic, nice people, but they were probably in the minority. Probably less of them than the the bad ones. That's terrible. I mean, quite a few of them did commit murders and things like that. Never commit a murder, people. Mm. Gilbert's descendants... His children, grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, great-great-etc. 
etc. Great, 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 greatest grandchildren. Well, they would go on to become members of Parliament as well, eventually marrying into other posh families, such as the Drummonds and the Willoughbys. I've heard about the Willoughbys. They're famous. Yep. Until the family was finally able to make amends with the Queen of England after 250 years, when Nancy Jane Marie Heathcote Drummond Willoughby... What a name! Do you want that one again? Yeah. Nancy J. Marie Heathcote Drummond Willoughby. That's even more than my name. Yep, but can you remember it? What did I just call her? Uh, Heathen. Nancy Heathen. Patrol Willoughby. Nancy Heathen Patrol Willoughby. No, Nancy uh, Jane Marie Heathcote Drummond Willoughby, who was selected as a train bearer during the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II in 1953. Did the trains go through woods and get attacked by bears? No, in this, when she wore her coronation dress, the back of the dress was very, very long, which meant it needed people to hold it. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Nancy J. Marie Heathcote Drummond Willoughby was one of the people selected to hold the back of her robe uh, to make sure that it didn't get caught on things as she was walking into Westminster Abbey to be crowned queen. So it was a a very um, big role to have. So if you ever watch the old film of the coronation, you will see a Heathcote helping in the proceedings. Okay. And there you go. That, Evie, Karen, Elizabeth, Heathcote, is the story of how one of our distant relations became one of the richest and most influential people in Britain nearly 300 years ago. That was a really good story. I liked the Heathcote man. Yeah. Like I say, he he wasn't maybe a hero, but he was definitely successful at what he did. Yeah, he was so successful. And the source, Evie. The main source. The moral. No, the the main thing that I read to get this story was historyofparliamentonline.org. It was a specific article on Gilbert by uh, a gent called Perigocci. Perigocci? Perigocci. I don't know why I have to say it like that, but I feel I do. Perigocci. I say Misty like this, and I don't know why I just do. The reason that you say Misty, like Misty, is because I and your mother watched a programme when we were younger called SMTV Live, hosted by Anton Deck. Um, and when they introduced the Pokemon cartoon, um, I believe it was Declan Donnelly, uh, the Deck of Anton Deck, would um, do a bit where he was wearing a Pikachu top and he would get uh, Aunt McPartland, the aunt of Anton Deck, to, to stroke the top while saying, Pikachu! And he would also always refer to Misty as Misty! So you're doing that based on nostalgia that me and me and your mum have kind of forced onto you without understanding. Oh, oh okay. I'll good find you a story. clip of it on YouTube, though, and then you'll understand why good, you do it that way. Good story. That was great. Well done. Well, that's a little bit of our family history. Um, I like my family history. So from... from the other side of the family, from your mum's side of the family, you know what um, Emma's surname is? Yeah. Uh, um, family surname? K, K, K. 
Not KKK. Never KKK. Okay, that has its own meaning that's terrible. K. Just K. What, what does KKK mean? <laughs> oh, I think you're a little bit too young <laughs> for that one. <laughs> okay, just do it. It was, it was, um, it refers to a group of people who were in America in the earlier part of the 20th century, although they still exist to this day, who had some very strong views on who should and who shouldn't have basic human rights. And they were very much against certain people having any rights and they would murder people to make this point. So... Not KKK, just K, all right? Yeah. Yeah? Um, But the K surname, as far as we know, comes from the idea of being the keeper of the keys. Keeper of the keys. The keeper of the cars. So it would be, you know, the person who who held the keys would be the keeper of the keys, and that was shortened to K. Hagrid. Yes, I guess, in a way... Your mum is related to Hagrid. Yay! Yeah. So I'm related to Harry Potter. Yay! In if, a way. You know, if we stretch the truth beyond breaking point. Yes, I believe his name is actually Rubius Hagrid K. Um, he's, yeah, far down Pooh Bear's line. Um, oh. There's a connection. Well, okay. thanks for doing this podcast with me. It was great. No worries, Evie. I have, next time, we are going to talk about a royal woman. I knew knew what you did with my previous episode. Which previous episode? The one about the four men. The the four men? Yes, the four men. Sir, Patrick and Sir Thingy. They weren't sirs, the patron saints of England. Yes. You deleted that No, I didn't delete it. It turns out that actually... It's better for Mummy. It's a bit more of a Mummy episode because it does contain quite a lot of talk of torture. And what I don't want to do is give you nightmares. For years. For years. So I thought we'd talk about uh, a good, successful Heathcote um, who didn't torture anyone, as far as I know. Oh, okay, good. Thanks. No worries. But the next one we're going to do, it's a royal, it's a queen... A, a, a queen... A powerful queen. A powerful queen who was Queen of England for a while but did other things that were equally cool. So hopefully she'll be quite inspirational okay. to you. Thanks. Bye. No worries. Bye. Bye. Are you just ready for bed? Is that what's Bye, going on? Bye, podcast people. We call them our poddy peeps. <laughs> no. Go on. No. Call them podcast. No, they're poddy peeps. You've got to say, Bye, poddy peeps. Bye, Evie and... Joe, people. Potty peeps, come on. <laughs> we can make it a thing. No. You can be our potty peeps. <laughs> no. Do not be those. <laughs> be Evie and Joe followers. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.